Good evening, everybody. Thank you all for coming um, to Wednesday service. Uh, we're going to be in the book of uh, Matthew tonight. We're going through the gospel. We're actually going through the Beatitudes of what Jesus would call uh, going into the Sermon on the Mount, but called the Beatitudes. So if you have your Bible, can you please turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're just going to be in verse 8, and we're going to kind of just camp right there. Uh, the Beatitude, oh, Josh Beal, by the way, did an amazing job last week, yeah? Um, he did an amazing job. Uh, Cam too, Cam, good job. Worship, amazing, awesome. Yeah, um, so, the, so tonight we're going to be in blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is verse 8. Um, my friend recently came here to Kauai um, not too long ago. How long ago was it, babe? Maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Uh, my friend came here about three weeks ago. And it was a great time really catching up with him. We went to middle school together. We went to a high school together. Uh, and we kind of hung out after that for a little while. But because of my past, I basically disappeared off the map, right? He never seen me for a long time. And so this was a very, like, nostalgic moment to get to play catch up and get to see my friend again that I haven't seen in many, many years. Uh, this was the guy who always tried to grab me and bring me to church. If you ever had that friend, that was this friend. Uh, try to always invite me out of, get, come here this way, right? Invite me out of and into something better than what I was already doing. And so being in the position that I'm in now, I got to thank him after all these years for really contributing into my life, for investing into my life, for, uh, and for all that he was doing. And so usually how these kinds of conversations go uh, or start off is with really how you've been doing, right? Like how's everything going? What, what you been up to, bro? Uh, and the common response, this is the common response, everything is good. That's always the common response. Everything is good, bro. Uh, life is great. Uh, that day I got to meet his new girlfriend. Uh, I'm actually here on a job because uh, he's a photographer now, uh, but that kind of canceled out, so he's just on vacay mode. Um, and I just kind of sit back at that moment and just listen uh, to really all the highlights of his life. Like it was just all great things. And so you meet anybody after a long time, there's only so much you can say about yourself. And so knowing me, I have to know, how's everybody else doing, right? How's everybody else doing? And it's usually in this place, uh, when you ask that question from how you doing to how's everybody else doing, this is where the beans are spilled, right? And so knowing that my friend is still around those people uh, that I used to hang out with, or uh, he would occasionally get to see them because he's, he's in the area, what I'm hearing uh, is about my friends back at home uh, is that, some of them, not all of them, some of them aren't doing so great right now. Like, not at all. And I'm pretty sure if you guys can think back, I mean, I'm sure you guys have those friends group, friend groups. I'm, I'm talking before Christ, right? The ones that you guys kind of uh, surrounded yourself with, looked at each other, and were just, hey, ride or die, right? Those friends, right? You wouldn't be surprised, to hear this kind of news. And so as he's telling me this, I don't even remember a time when we were doing good, like let alone great. And I know this because I know them. Like I know this because I know them. I spent my life with them. We did everything together. And the only time that I didn't get to see them is when I fell asleep. Other than that, I was always with these guys. We lived the same lives. We made the same choices. And so 
I was thinking, really, depending on their discipline level uh, to get them out of this lifestyle, if it's not the gospel, and we're, I'm, like, I'm, I'm a madman about this gospel thing right now, if it's not the gospel, then life just becomes this vicious cycle. I know it, of getting better and then falling back, getting better and then falling back, and I know this because I've been there. I know you know this because you've probably been there. And so hearing this kind of news wasn't surprising, but it was sobering, really sobering. It just makes what the Bible is talking about all the more real, right? Like we're fighting against a real enemy. I think we hear that all the time, and we're fighting against a real enemy since the beginning of time. Maybe not big as Satan, but we've got a lot of demonic influence around us. Paul says it, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We read that every morning at U-Turn for Christ. I remember Ephesians 6, every morning. Hey, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So the next time you guys get heated between each other, it's time to sit down and pray. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, he says, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the kind of battle that we're in, and we need eyes to see that. Anybody tried walking into a room with no lights on? That's sketchy. Right? Anybody? You try and let your eyes adjust, you're kicking something. Right? Like, who put that flask there? There's a lot of anxiety there. But thank God for the gospel. Like, we don't got to keep walking in the dark anymore. That's what that is. Jesus said it, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Like, you don't got to keep walking in the dark. Like, that is some good news. That's good news to me. Like, we don't have to guess what's next. Like, what we're doing here, going through the entire Bible, Pastor Steve, every Sunday, uh, it's not for you to be filled with more information. That's not what it's about. This is God leading us into the most life-giving direction. All of it. Jesus not only saves you, but lovingly shows you the road to walk on. Even the psalmist says it, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And what I see, this is me, is that a lot of Christians, not you guys, is that a lot of Christians, I'm not saying you, but a lot of Christians are satisfied with just getting in. I'm good right here. And if that's you, like, I want to tell you, God has so much more for you. I think I was talking to Pastor Steve about this. God has so much more for all of you than just getting in. This is why I'm saying that we can rob ourselves from the joy and the beauty of actually following Jesus. And I'm talking on a soul level here, right? This fullness of life that Paul talks about, that abundant life that Jesus talks about, is not that everything is going great. That's not what he's saying. We live in a world marked by brokenness. Rather, in this present darkness, God is equipping us to be the kind of Christians that know what we're up against. That's it. Like, I want to know what kind of battle I'm in. I don't know if you ever got into a fight and you don't know who you're fighting. That's scary. 
And so every time that we gather here on Wednesdays, every time that we gather on Sundays or your home groups or your Bible studies or wherever you're at, and every time that we read his word, the spirit of God is constantly calling us out of and into something better all the time. This is God building us into a people who stand against darkness. Look at me but he is bearing the kind of fruit in us that will sustain us for the long run. Why? Because this is a journey. And journeys are long, real long. I get tired. You get tired? I get tired. You get weary? I get weary. Cosmic powers, present darkness, spiritual forces of evil, like, you cannot bench press that, man. There is not enough physical strength and mental intellect to get you through this. And I say this because, as a body, if you and I are not pressing into Jesus, there's a lot of things that can take you by surprise. I love you guys. And so, as I'm hearing about all that's going on with my old friend back at home, old friends, one way that I'm able to see them now that I'm here, because I'm here now, it is really through social media, okay? I use social media, so I thank God for these types of platforms. Why? Because they help us to stay connected. I have a lot of friends uh, that are far away. I have a lot of family that's far away. Now, now, what I'm hearing my friend tell me about these guys is definitely not what I'm seeing on their pages, right? What I'm seeing on Instagram, right, you click that little circle, right, is the highlights of 2022, baby. That's what I'm seeing, right? Amazing food, gourmet dishes, right? New car, bought a new house, Vegas road trip, four seasons. Like, this is the kind of stuff we see on social media. Not homeless walking the streets now. Like, where did that come from? Or in the Walmart, back of Walmart parking lot tweaking again? or back in Halava, that's crazy. That's not what I'm seeing. Rather, what I'm seeing is what they want me to see. That's what I'm seeing on their pages, and what I'm seeing is life is amazing. Life is great. But that is so far from the truth. So far. You see, we live in a time where honesty can be quite difficult. That's the day we live in. In fact, for most people, not all people, what keeps us from being honest is that as we kind of look around and we kind of compare ourselves to other people, we don't want to be known as not as exciting. As we look around, we don't want to be known as not as happy as other people. And we definitely don't want people to see our flaws. And so instead of being honest, it can just be much easier to kind of shrink back and say, everything is good, bro. Life is great. Here are the highlights of my life. And I think there seems to be a real fear of being found out, a, a real fear of actually being known. Now, when Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, I think when we look at our relationship with God, well, we often only see it as being obedient, to be righteous, and live like Jesus lived. That's good. 
but all the focus is on how we look and how well we're performing as a Christian. But I think what we fail to understand is the gospel itself. You and I did not come into the kingdom with a high-powered resume. I'm going to say that again. You and I did not come into the kingdom with a high-powered resume. Like, here are my skills, God. Here are my abilities. These are some reference numbers. Give them a call and let me know. That is not how we got into the kingdom. This is not how we got in. Remember last week, or the first week, we got in poor. Like, you go back to verse 1. We got, we got in poor, very poor, like zero. We had nothing to offer God except our baggage. And that's where he received us. This is the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. This is blessed are you when you finally come to the end of yourself. That's what he's saying. Blessed are you when you finally had enough. Like blessed are you when you don't think you got this. That's how we got in. And now that we're in, isn't Jesus doing a mighty work in us? I see it all around. Man, God is doing a mighty work in you guys. You are definitely not the person that you used to be. Definitely not. And for some of us here, there was a radical change. Man, I said this the other week, if you only knew the person's past sitting next to you, you'd probably be hiding your purse right now. <laughs> if you only knew their past, right? That's the transforming power of the gospel. Like if you only knew them and what Jesus did in their life. And to really shine some light on things, check this out. That's not you either. That transformation, that's not you. Jesus said it, John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Every good fruit, every, every good fruit, everything that's being produced in your life, every good thing that's happening around you is not because you are able, it's because God was able. It was him. Every good thing. Now, when Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, I think we can get the idea that pure in heart means perfection. To be perfect in thought, to be perfect in word, to be perfect in action. I'm going to tell you right now, if that's what Christianity is about, we would never see God. See, you and I are not perfect. That's why we needed saving. And I want to ask you, what makes any difference today, now that you're in? See, God is not after perfection just as much as he wants your qualifications on a resume. To be pure in heart does not mean perfect. It just means honest. That's what this beatitude is talking about. It just means honest. Honest before God. Transparency to the core. Like, I am so far from being perfect. Like, I came in zero balance, and I'm not even where I want to be today. I wish I was way further along. Pastor Steve always says, right, I'm not who I used to be, but I'm not where I want to be. And so what I realized over the years is that there are some people in the church, I'm talking about me, who get convicted of their sin, convicted of a certain struggle, convicted of something in their life, and what we end up doing is making some kind of vow, 
making some kind of promise to I'm, I'm never doing that again. Anybody? I do that all the time. I'm never doing that again. Only to find myself a week later, maybe two weeks later, depending on my discipline level, to get right back into that. To fall right back into it. Listen, you and I were never meant to fix ourselves. I want to explain to you that the gospel isn't some door that you walk through and Jesus says, now you got it from here. See, the same way that you and I get saved, poor, being honest about our condition, honest about where we're at, is the same way you and I are going to be sanctified. Bill said it. Sanctification is just a fancy word that means set apart, looking more like Christ. See, we don't get anywhere from sheer willpower and us deciding to do anything ourselves. And I wanted to explain to you that what happens when it is this way is that we constantly fall into a cycle of shame and guilt and it causes us to hide from God. And he wants to call us out of this rhythm. I think where we clearly see this picture here is actually in Genesis 3. So as God created man and woman in his own image, we've been created to subdue the earth and to fill it, have dominion over the earth, not devour it, dominion over the earth, multiply, be fruitful. And so he puts us in a garden, and in this garden, this is amazing, God dwelled with us. In this garden, God dwelled with us. Now it says that man were naked, woman was naked, and they were unashamed. And I want to just tell you right now, I want you to understand that this verse has a lot less to do with nudity and more so the condition of the heart. Okay? A lot less to do with nakedness and more so of the condition of the heart. And now we know the story. Put them in the garden. You can eat of any tree. Have at it. Multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. But don't touch that one. We know this story, right? Don't touch that tree. You can have any tree in the garden. You can eat from anything. You, just don't touch that one. And I'm, I ask myself this question. Why would God put a tree in the middle of the garden and then command them not to eat it. I think I've asked a couple, I think I've asked, did I ask you Uncle Mitch? Yeah, I did ask Uncle Mitch. I always ask Uncle Mitch stuff. We go on random tangents. Um, why would God put a tree in the middle of the garden and uh, command them not to eat it? Most people say because it's free will. Yeah, we have free will. And God wants us to choose. That's the kind of, I think that's the most dominant answer. God wants us to choose whether we love him or not. I just want to make it very clear we chose. So, so then I ask myself again, why would God put a tree in the middle of the garden and command him not to eat it? I'm going to tell you right now. Obedience to God leads to joy. Obedience to God leads to joy. What God commands us to do something, when God asks us to do something, it's never been to take anything away from you. God's commandments have never been to take anything away from us, but has always been to lead us in the most life-giving direction. Obedience to God leads to everlasting joy. Amen? Now we know what happens next. Sin enters the world, fractures our relationship with God, fractures our relationship with the earth, now the ground is cursed, and fractures our relationship with others. 
everything that was good is now broken by sin. Now, we no longer trust each other. How do we know this? It's the woman you gave me, Lord. It was her fault. That's how we know, right? It was the woman you gave me, Lord. Remember that? Now we're blaming each other. The fig leaves, the fig leaves represent so much more just that, than just covering our nakedness. It has so much more. There's so much more to that. It's what we do by trying to mask our true appearance before God and others. That's what the fig leaves represent. It's masking who we truly are, masking our appearance. Because there's a real fear of being found out. Like we don't want people to know who we truly are. Sin will always cause shame and guilt. And if you don't understand the gospel, it would always drive us away from God and to hide ourselves and try to fix ourselves. But you want to know what God's response to all this was? We know the story. This is God's response. Adam, where are you? This is God's response. Adam, where are you? It's our time together. Where are you? Like, you don't think God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it knew where Adam was? Like, you don't think God knows what you're dealing with? Like, you don't think God knows that you get angry? You don't think he knows about that lust problem? You don't think he knows about the sexual addictions? You don't think he knows about your depression and your anxiety? Like, God sees you and he wants you. Like, he wants you. You don't think God knows how broken you are? He knows how broken you are. Your brokenness, your doubts, your struggles, the entire story of the Bible has always been God moving towards people like you and me. Hide all you want. I hate to break it to you. You're fully known. You are fully known, and you are deeply loved. Now is the what then. We always got to have a what then. Mitch always says, that was a great message, but what now? Now what then? What do we do with this? That's the question. I'm glad you asked. There are two things. First thing I want you to know is that God sees you, and God knows you. Psalms 139 says this. Oh, Lord, you searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word on my tongue, behold, oh, Lord, you know it all together. You hem in me before me, uh, behind me and before me, meaning he goes before us, he's behind us, and lay your hand upon me. How well does God know you? Probably be better than you know yourself. Psalms 119 says this, your hands made me. Your hands fashioned me. He not only knows everything about you, he made you. Like, that's crazy. Like, he made you. He designed you and created you to be uniquely wired to be you. See, God knows what you need, and what you need is him. He is trying to lead us in the most joyful, most vibrant, most beautiful, life-giving direction possible. I'm not trying to lead you guys astray. Now, what's the plan of action? Confession and repentance 
is not something that just happens once. Hear me out. Salvation is once. You don't confess and repent to be resaved, but it is a clear indication that you understand the good news. What do you do when you blow it? Because I blow it. What do you do when you blow it? Do we run from him or do we run towards him? Confession is simply letting your guard down and having God meet you in the areas you're struggling with. You were never meant to fix yourself, ever. It's never been that way. This is honesty before a God who knows you, sees you, and deeply loves you. It's in this space where God meets you, as Bill was teaching last week, with mercy. And then to repent. Repent means to turn away. Turn away from the very things that are destroying your marriage, destroying your relationships, destroying your soul, destroying your body, and pressing into Jesus like your life depended on it. Present darkness, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil, that's the battle we're in, and we're on the winning side. And the second thing, I would advise you, if you can, find one or two people you want to run this race with. Just one or two people. All the way to the finish line. Find those guys. One or two people. Like I said, it's a journey, and it's a long one. I have certain people that I know, they know when I'm tired, they know when something's wrong. And I want them to be with me. I want them to pray for me. Like we were never meant to do this alone. But we have Jesus, I know that. But I want something tangible. Like I want somebody to grab onto, right? These are the ones I was talking about, hungering and thirsting. These are the ones who fuel our relationship with God, who want right relatedness with him. The ones that stir up a hunger and thirst for Jesus, running together through the ups and downs and all arounds, amen? I think that's it. That's all I got tonight. If I can say if <laughs> if I can say anything and you guys take away anything from this, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Pure in heart does not mean perfection. God is not after your perfection. He wants honesty, transparency. Amen. Father, I pray you bless these men and women tonight, God. Uh, that you would call that, uh, if the Spirit is call, calling them, Lord, to a more vibrant, more real, more intimate relationship with you, I pray that they would step into that. Like, what are we waiting for? And Father, I pray that you would speak to them throughout the week, Lord God, um, and that they would have a hunger and thirst, a desire to want to know you more. God, I pray for, so, uh, for, the, for, for those of us that are here tonight uh, who may be broken, uh, who may be tired, who may be weary, Lord God. And you said, come to me, Lord. And I, so I pray, Lord, that the invitation uh, has been given out and that they would receive that tonight. And I thank you for what you're doing here in the church, in the body, individually, Lord God, here at Calvary Chapel, uh, North Shore. I pray that we would be... Um, 
closer together. There would be a tighter fellowship, that there would be unity here, as Unity Month is this month, Lord God, that we would get to know each other deeply, Lord God, uh, and that we would be able to uh, help each other, to get to know one another, to love one another, and to be able to minister to each other and running this race together. Father, we love you. Pray, we even pray for the children outside. Father, I pray you be with them, Lord God. Uh, the kids here in Kilauea, Father, I pray you just continue to speak to them, through them, give them wisdom beyond their years, Father. Um, and we love you, and we love everything that you're doing. We want to be more aware, Lord God, of the current battle we're in, and we want to press into you during this time. We love you, and we praise you. Continue to stir up our affections for you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people say, amen. amen.